Radio. It is the final hour of the program, but we have a lot more business to get to. Still, I'll always pause to make sure you can be a part of the show. 1-800-636-8686. More interaction via social media. B.W. Weber, Weber with two B's on Twitter. Emails, still a possibility on this program. RomanHaveATake.com. In 40 minutes, we wrap it up with Gusto. Eric Allen, he speaks as well as he played. And now he's a finalist for enshrinement in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He got that spectacular news last night. Eric and I have been radio co-hosts in the past. Phenomenal person, former Pro Bowl quarterback. You recall part of those legendary defenses in Philadelphia. Wrapped up his career playing for the Raiders. He's now a broadcast contributor for the Silver and Black. So we'll use the opportunity to check in with Eric to take you across the NFL. I have a sense in general, and I've not looked at social media. I'll take you behind the curtain. I'm a bit of a Luddite on a big word Thursday. I get distracted easily, although isn't that the goal of a talk show host to multitask? So I don't read a ton of your tweets during the show. The employee of the year, my dear friend Jack Savage, while he is doing push-ups, and apparently it is a lat day, he's doing a lot of dips across the glass, he's running the board and he's doing all of the screening as well. So Jack is in charge. If you're not getting through, hit him up on Twitter. Jack's a good follow. You never know what Jack is going to be up to. He's always in the holiday frame of mind, irrespective of the month, but I'm sure there are many of you saying, hey, loud fill-in guy who's self-involved, can you stop talking about Russell Wilson? And I do get a general vibe when the audience is full. So I've devoted the monologues in both hour number one and the last hour solely to Russ. We will have a bifurcated, my goodness, the big words just flow when we're not on TV. We're going to split the open. Few more thoughts on Russell Wilson. Then we'll plow forward with the handful of teams that I think we can safely believe in come playoff time. Although, given the level of parity we've seen across the NFL this year, I think we could be in store for one of the most unpredictable postseasons we've ever seen, which will only make the juggernaut that is the NFL even bigger and even stronger. We have a Thursday night game coming up. Thursday Night Football, largely unwatchable, but it's not going anywhere because we watch, and now it's fueled by unlimited tech dollars, and it's actually a compelling matchup, at least on one side of the ledger, with the Cleveland Browns getting hot at the right time, riding Joe Flacco, of all people, to a three-game win streak. Flacco, in the course of that good, solid team play, has put together Three consecutive passing performances of over 300 yards. And last week against Houston, I know everything has changed since C.J. Stroud went into the concussion protocol and he's now moving in the right direction to start coming up this weekend, which is a huge positive for the 8-7 and seven Texans taking on Tennessee, dealing with their own injuries of 5-10. and 10. We had the Ryan Tannehill experience last week. Will Levis banged up. But for Houston... It's about two things, getting Stroud healthy and cleaning up that defense because Amari Cooper looked like a combination of Lynn Swan and Jerry Rice. 
265 receiving yards. The Jets still have a better-than middle-of-the-road defense, as much as they have gone through so many ups and downs this year. But Robert Sala will be coming back. The question for Gangreen is, can they score? And more to the point, are they going to be able to move the ball at all against that formidable, rugged Cleveland defense led by Miles Garrett? Trevor Simeon has the massive challenge of trying to get that going. And one of the things we'll be tracking tonight, we'll have the fallout tomorrow, and we're going to spend a lot of time tomorrow hammering playoff scenarios, getting you an early look at the matchups that we have a degree of confidence have already been essentially aligned. And we'll talk more college football because we're getting closer to the games that matter, namely the national semifinals on Monday. And I'll be back with you on Monday, and it's worth a programming note. In addition to wrapping up the week with you tomorrow, typically, not always, but typically on a holiday, you get best of, which is terrific because I can understand if you are a hardcore clone, more of Jim and none of me is your preference. At the same time, Coming up on January 1st, it has the makings of one of the biggest sports days of the year with all the fallout from the NFL weekend, including a Saturday game that's a marquee matchup between the Lions and the Cowboys and all the college football. So I'll be with you on Monday, meaning if you appreciate any of the act, although act is not the right description. Sadly, this is who I am. Say what you mean, mean what you say. You don't have to worry about contradicting yourself more than I normally do. But if you enjoy some of this, I'll be back with you over the next couple of show days. And I won't be talking much more Russell Wilson unless we hear from Russ, who had the cryptic looking forward to God's plans and next chapter. And I'm paraphrasing. You can read it for yourself on social media. What we, I think, can all conclude based on how things came together yesterday, is that now Sean Payton, while he does not have the actual deed to the Denver Broncos, he's the owner, effectively. He is running that team. He is calling all the important shots because how else can you arrive at a different conclusion with the outcome that's going to result in Russ getting $39 million guaranteed to go away? And we've seen other small examples of this in the NFL. But this feels like something straight out of the NBA. Be like the expiring contract deal or the buyouts we see all the time. This is a huge outlier for the NFL, but it's only possible given the financial resources of the folks who actually paid over $4 billion to buy the Broncos. That's the Walton Penner family. And for $39 bucks, what I got to do? Raise the price of those Pop-Tarts that I'm not going to buy? Buy a nickel or so? No need for a bake sale. They'll find the money. But it is a complete indictment of the regime that made this trade for Russell Wilson, who had already shown signs that he was moving away from his prime years. And we know Russ at his best in Seattle is operating typically on a broken play. Nobody did more with less than Russell Wilson with his ability to extend a play, to find that narrow window. How many bizarre outcomes did we watch in Seattle, especially on the red zone? And let's go back to the Emerald City 
Seahawks are down 13 with six minutes to go, and then Russ is throwing another bomb, and somehow they're winning in the rain. Well, that feels like ancient history. Still, if you watch these games this year, Russell Wilson was effective. The offensive issues, and I realize it's all about the quarterback in the NFL. It's the only position that matters. They should just call it QBL at this point. Russell Wilson is not solely responsible for the lack of consistency on that side of the ball. Top 10 in passer rating. I keep going back to the old counting numbers because that's how I was raised in sports, and I'm not good enough at math or care about analytics. I appreciate data-driven decision-making, but I'm not going to do anything that requires a calculator, and math is not my friend. How about the old standard numbers that matter? 26 touchdowns against eight interceptions. But apparently, Russ should have been told his report card would not only come down to wins and losses at 7-8, and eight, a huge transformation from last year and the 1-5 start to this horrible season early on, when they got annihilated by the Dolphins, who hung 70 on them and accumulated better than 700 yards of total offense. Russ's report card really came down to one greater. And that's Sean Payton, who feels like his offense is not being executed the way he wants to. I've heard enough from analysts who are paid to watch tape to tell me to pass along to you as we're more casuals, as the kids say, that Russ is really at this point being viewed internally in Denver as a game manager, that Brock Purdy label with the bubble screens and the short passes. He can't throw wide receivers open. So I'm not surprised the divorce is happening. I would just have liked to have seen more transparency. Now, there was no way that the Broncos were moving on from Russell Wilson before they even gave it a shot. They had to find out if, quote-unquote, Sean Payton could fix Russ. But the numbers say progress was made. Russell Wilson, if you watched him this year, was much better than last year. Now, that's not saying anything. That's like saying you're the world's tallest short person out there. But just from the eyeball test, he certainly got in much better shape, so you could drop the russet label. He was making throws. We saw it in that wild Christmas night game against the Patriots. Mounted the comeback, and then... With the game on the line, Denver couldn't close, and we could have a conversation about their defense because if Russell Wilson wasn't made to be the fall guy, the next candidate, and he could be dead man walking professionally as well, is Vance Joseph, the defensive coordinator. Because Sean Payton needs somebody to blame. And I know he'll stand at the podium and give us all the cliches about, we got to coach better. That starts with me. Okay. Well, who is suffering the consequences for a lackluster season? Right now, it's Russell Wilson, who's about to be unemployed. Russ does not need our sympathy, nor to send him a get-well-soon card. He's going to be just fine. If you're looking around the league, I think the Patriots could be a logical landing spot, especially as they try to rebrand post-Belichick. And coming up in 15 minutes, we'll talk about the coaching futures of both Bill Belichick and Jim Harbaugh, one would think they're both eyeballing the same team. Details coming up. Falcons have been stuck in neutral throughout the entire Arthur Smith regime. I'm going to tread lightly because 
I know this is a big Arthur Smith studio. Jim has a lot of respect for the head coach of the Falcons. But however negatively you evaluate Russell Wilson, you can't tell me he's not an upgrade over Desmond Ritter or Taylor Heineke. That's not saying anything, but when you have an owner in Arthur Blank who had a 28-3 lead in the Super Bowl, I'll have to tell you the rest of the story, who's not as young as he used to be, there's an urgency to win. Russ would be superior to the current options. And maybe, just maybe, you actually give the ball to Bijan Robinson. Fantasy alert, fantasy alert. The Raiders, to me, make a great deal of sense. And if you're Russell Wilson, now with the luxury of having the team that you want to go to in front of you, not having to worry about any financial implications, because remember, Denver is going to write that check for $39 million. Let's say the Raiders are interested. they got to find a way to fix that position, because as much as I like Derek Carr personally, you have seen undeniably the Raiders made the right decision with the exact same comp to what Russ is going through now last year, shutting down Carr, moving on from him. I really thought this was a great opportunity for Carr to resurrect his career. Something is wrong. Beyond his inability to stay healthy, now that complement of wide receivers and Olave and Michael Thomas finally was healthy to start the year, to be that ineffective, that wobbly, that lacking in production. And we know you always got to blame the offensive coordinator. Pete Carmichael is as detested in New Orleans as Matt Canada was in Pittsburgh or Ken Dorsey was in Buffalo. Carmichael will be next to go. But Carr is a shadow of himself. I think the Raiders are a logical landing spot for Russ, who knows the division, And I think everybody else now in the AFC West has a mindset that Kansas City is human again. Unless there is a switch somewhere in Missouri that the Chiefs can first find, then flip, you cannot tell me the Chiefs are not dealing with substantial issues. Four home losses, Mahomes having... His weakest year individually with a slew of INTs. He's got 14 this year. That's only three off the league-leading pace set by Sam Howell, who's lost his job to Jacoby Brissett. Doesn't help that the offense has not been the same since Eric Bieniemy went to Washington because while the commander's players thought that he was too intense when he got there, we're seeing after the fact with his departure, he was the guy in KC holding the players on offense accountable because something is fundamentally wrong there. Leading the league in drops, you're a professional football player. And... It just is baffling to me that it's not just a couple drops here or a bad run. It's been the whole damn season. Or Kadarius Toney lining up so obviously offsides that the officials had no choice but to throw that flag, negating what should have been the player of the year against the Bills. And now the defense suddenly is wobbly after they were carrying the team early in the season. They got carved up by the Raiders on the ground in a game in which, as we're talking about the Raiders, and we'll talk about them more coming up in 25 minutes when we say hello to Eric Allen, the Raiders got 62 passing yards from Aiden O'Connell on Christmas Day. 
He did not complete a pass after the first quarter. I am aware their defense got him 14 points in less than 10 seconds, but a fellow named Zamir White ran wild like he was Marcus Allen because Josh Jacobs was banged up. So Kansas City now has to fix their defense as well. So as we look at the overall hierarchy in the AFC, I think you probably could arrive at this conclusion based on what you saw in what was supposed to be the game of the year on Christmas night. It is Baltimore and everybody else. Beat Miami coming up this weekend. They lock up the top seed in the AFC. And then we'll learn more about Lamar Jackson. As much of a Lamar supporter as I am, I can't yada, yada, yada the facts. He has underachieved in the postseason. Love the addition of Todd Munkin to open up that offense, bringing some of the dynamic we saw him shine with when he was the play caller Georgia and making the Ravens less run-dependent, although Lamar can always beat you with his mobility. But when we get to the playoffs, think about all of the flaws amongst the contenders across the AFC other than the Ravens. But Lamar is going to have to show all of us that what he has failed to achieve in the past does not have any significance this year because he has not been at his best come playoff time, small sample size, in years gone by. Remember, though, the Ravens have had the lead at the two-minute warning in all three of their losses. I'm not saying that they could be vying with Mercury Morris to make sure he couldn't pop the champagne with the rest of those old dudes from the 72 Dolphins, but they could be in the hunt to still be undefeated. They also have a defense that we should be talking much more about as much as I love what's going on in Cleveland because they've carried that team throughout the conga line of quarterbacks. The Ravens on pace to be the first team since the merger, 1970, to lead the NFL in scoring defense sacks and takeaways. As we saw them terrorizing Brock Purdy, who was exposed with the whole nation watching on Christmas night. I am not saying Brock Purdy can't play. I'm not saying that Brock Purdy is just a game manager. I am saying this. There's a reason why he was Mr. Irrelevant. He has limitations, and it felt like he was overwhelmed by the magnitude of the moment in that head-to-head battle of top seeds. I realize a couple of those picks were batted balls still, He's responsible for all four of them. And now it's fair to wonder, even though I do think the Niners lock up the top seed in the NFC, and that starts with beating up Washington, although Jacoby Brissett gives them a better chance at center than poor Sam Howell. What do you think the next time we see Brock Purdy in a high-leverage situation like the Ravens game on Christmas night? What do you think he looks like? How do you think he compartmentalizes? Because while he has the best supporting cast around him offensively in the most versatile running back in all of football, Christian McCaffrey, in Kittle, Samuel and Ayuk, Trent Williams got a little bit banged up at the end of that game against Baltimore. We saw when the Niners dealt with those significant injuries, they lost three in a row. But let's say they're nearly healthy come playoff time. What does Purdy do the next time? He's in a game of that magnitude. Human nature says going to be tough just to shake that off, as T. Sizzle once told us, and I'm not doing the Kelsey-Swift conversation today, although Travis has been horrible as well. I'm Brian Weber, in for Jim Rome. 
getting closer to the business end of the program. Effectively, the last call for phone calls, 1-800-636-8686. Emails, RomanAvatake.com. More of your tweets coming up in less than five minutes. B.W. Weber, Weber with two Bs. If you don't get in today, you can hit me up tomorrow. Monday will be a lot of me just giving you fair warning because I got to get through all of the NFL plus the big games in college football. Eric Allen joins us in 20 minutes. I'm going to congratulate him on being, at last, the finalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Straight ahead in advance of the biggest day in college football coming up on Monday with the national semifinals and the traditional bowl games. Where will Jim Harbaugh be coaching next season? I'll let you know as we continue. I appreciate the company on this Thursday edition in the jungle. I'm Brian Weber in for Jim Rome on CBS Sports Radio. You're listening to The Jim Rome Show. I'm Brian Weber. As we continue to move deeper into the program, just 35 minutes or so less. But we're going to do it again tomorrow with more of your reaction on the docket now. Going to talk about Jim Harbaugh and Bill Belichick, two great friends of the program. I will make sure I am more succinct than normal. Realize that I've been a bit of a bloviator today. Stealing that from Dan Lebertard. There's too much thievery going on in our business. Want to give Dan and the pirate ship full attribution. In 15 minutes, looking forward to checking in with an old friend, Eric Allen. I am biased, but I was saying for years when we did radio shows together. Undeniably, he belongs in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I guess the only missing element on his resume was a lack of a championship. Still, all the Pro Bowls, all of the big plays, finally got the very positive affirmation yesterday. He moved from the list of semifinalists to being a finalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. We'll get his reaction. And then Eric spent years at ESPN. Now he's a Raiders broadcaster. He will take us across the league and expand our focus beyond Russell Wilson. Question number one, that's X's and O's, will be about Russ. And if you've had enough of Russ, I understand. The audience is never wrong. And I'm here to give you the show you're looking for with my ability to make editorial decisions. I couldn't ignore it. It's the biggest story in all of football. But I think it's fully addressed today. I'll give it some more thought tonight. We'll probably do a little bit more, Russ, but the majority of the program tomorrow will be driving you towards a massive NFL weekend, and we'll put the playoff picture into focus. It all starts beyond tonight's game, and we'll get into the takeaways from what should be a joyous night in Cleveland. A win over the Jets would be a fourth consecutive victory with Joe Flacco, of all people, leading the way. And with much more significance, Cleveland would wrap up a wild card, and with that defense would be a dangerous playoff team. More reaction, final tweets of the day. You can hit me up on the X after the show. B.W. Weber, Weber with two Bs. Ken Essay, always prolific. Webs, you've got dad genes, spelled G-E-N-E-S. So do we, sincerely. Alvi, Nick Cannon, Antonio Cromartie. Sean Kemp, and our newest member, Tyreek Hill. Yeah, Tyreek has a lot of issues off the field that we tend to overlook because he's such a dynamic playmaker. Go back and review his criminal history prior to coming to the NFL. There's a reason why he was available later in the draft. Hi, Brian. 
Even though no TV today, are you still rocking a pocket square? Deck your halls with lots of Mary, the great Bella B in Calgary. No, very casual. In fact, Jack Savage, I think, now puts me in a different category. Like a dad, I'm wearing sweatpants. Basically the Tony Soprano school of fashion, although hopefully I'm not in that same category, as the late, great Jimmy Gandolfini. B-Dub, I've been polling for you. After hearing, though, you've never consumed a Pop-Tart, I might have to reevaluate my position. Might be a programmable, non-fit, still rooting for you, but significantly less, Joel and Uke. As I mentioned, just because, and most of this goes back to the pandemic. Folks, I was lucky enough to fill in for Jim. Remember, this show stayed on the air continuously. Throughout a global pandemic, Jim finally takes a vacation. I, of course, have been sitting in my one-bedroom apartment by myself for months. I'm not going to turn down the opportunity to work. Now I have to talk for three hours with nothing going on. And a couple of you had noticed I put on the COVID-19, so I revealed some of my culinary preferences. And now I feel the need to bear my soul. But today, and this was not planned, I hopefully am... Making it clear, I don't script out m- much of this show. Some of it, there's thought going on, but I couldn't read. Plus, I can't read my handwriting. When I saw the Pop-Tarts bowl, it hit me. I've never had a Pop-Tart. Yes, I'm better than you. I'm a food snob. Jim Harbaugh is here in Southern California as I come to your your way from a Regal Studios in the greater Los Angeles area. And just being out and about, there's a ton of... Michigan fans rocking their blue and gold gear, seeing a lot of Crimson Tide. And another reason why Florida State was never going to get into the playoff once it was clear Jordan Travis wasn't coming back. And we'll talk about this tomorrow. The one takeaway that will not be fair when they get obliterated, pronouns pal, talking about Florida State by Georgia. Because all of their big names on the Seminole side have opted out. Dudes we've never heard of are going to be on the field. And most of Georgia's tremendous players are going to compete. Do not tell me in any way that validates the selection committee's decision. We all know what happened there. Alabama got in for two reasons. They're the SEC champs. And the committee was projecting that Jordan Travis being taken off the field based on what they saw moving forward, most notably in the ACC title game, was going to translate into a lousy national semifinal. And if you're ever in doubt how decisions are made, just follow the money. This is a important time in college football for the folks who run the college football playoff because as we go to 12 teams next year, that media deal has yet to be finalized. And just like the NFL... The folks in charge of the CFP want multiple networks. So, as the last proof of concept that the ratings are going to be there, and remember, these national semifinals have been virtually unwatchable. A series of blowouts. If you put Florida State in there without Jordan Travis, the outcome was fairly self-evident. It's not fair. They got screwed. First time we've ever seen... Uh, Power 5 undefeated team left out, but it was always a possibility with just the basic arithmetic. 
with the five conferences and the four slots. But when Florida State loses by 35, don't call me on Monday and say the committee got it right. Because we always, I think, from a national standpoint, give the SEC too much credit. Now, I sound like a fool based on all the national championships they've won. But are we forgetting that Bama needed a fourth and 31 miracle to beat a lousy six-win Auburn team in the Iron Bowl? An Auburn team that lost to New Mexico State. And I follow West Coast or Mountain West Conference football as well. I know the Aggies are good, but come on. That was a Alabama decision because there was no way the SEC champs were going to be left out because of the SEC and because of commerce. What's Jim Harbaugh going to do? I've left myself a minute. Put it this way. He's going to be making a lot of money next year. He literally can't lose. Although, if you're a Michigan fan, let's say you lose to Alabama and that line now down to about a point and a half. That's another semifinal loss after the embarrassment of losing to TCU last year. Harbaugh was ineligible to coach six times this year. However you view the sign-stealing scandal. Michigan, aren't you better than this? You're an institution with prestigious academic credentials. And I know it's a football school there. But effectively, you have allowed one man to overshadow the entire university who clearly wants to go back to the NFL. That's why he got on the plane and went to Minnesota a couple years ago. And they said thanks, but no thanks. Have more self-esteem. Believe in the brand. Because now he's just using Michigan as leverage to drive up whatever he could potentially extract from the Chargers or the Bears, unless Belichick beats him to the Chargers. Uh, Because I was definitely rambling too much there, I will get back to Belichick or Harbaugh as the leading contenders to coach the Bolts, unless, and you are what you consistently do, unless you believe the Spanos family are going to lose their wallets once more. There's a reason the last three coaches have been Mike McCoy, Anthony Lynn, Brandon Staley. Why? Because the Spanos family are cheap. But I don't have to hang out with them. Jim has a relationship via Dodger Jano. I'm going back to my one-bedroom apartment. But I am going to talk to a friend coming up, Eric Allen, who got the positive news last night. He's a finalist, finally, for enshrinement in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. We'll get his reaction, and we'll talk about the story of the day in the NFL. Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show with guest host Brian Weber on CBS Sports Radio. We are winding down today. That means we're warming up for tomorrow. Back with you with all the fallout from Thursday Night Football. Can Joe Flacco keep it going? Looking to beat the Jets. Remember, the Jets moved on from Flacco. Been an amazing return for Cleveland. A Browns victory. They lock up a wild card. First, let's wrap it up. With style points. And I was really looking forward to this conversation all day long. Pleased to be joined by a former broadcast partner, Eric Allen, 
former NFL quarterback, 14 seasons in the league, six-time Pro Bowler, three-time All-Pro, now a terrific broadcaster for the Raiders, and he got exceptional news last night we're going to discuss in a moment. Eric, it has been a minute. How are you, my friend? How are you doing, my friend? Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Uh, as I always am driving on the freeway here in Southern California, I always think about those times going up to do the show with you. And we were six hours straight uh, doing <laughs> stuff, so uh, good to be on with you, Brian. Well, you deserve to be in the Broadcast Hall of Fame. And by the way, pal, it was seven hours. I, I know it went by so quickly, it felt like six. Seven <laughs> hours on the air together, but of far more importance, I am so happy for you, and I've been mentioning it throughout the program Long overdue, last night you found out you're one of 15 finalists for enshrinement in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. What was your reaction when you learned the news last night? Uh, Brian, I tell you, you know, the long journey, uh, all kind of being here back home in San Diego, and you get that kind of news, and the phone is just blowing up, uh, social media is blowing up, all my friends from high school, college are all hit me up. It was just a great time to get back to letting those people know who were in my lives that they were a part of all this. Just not always a one-man show, but uh, I was extremely excited, so happy, uh, and proud of all the, the uh, folks who have helped me get to this point. Well, whether you take the next step or not this year, in my mind, I'm speaking for a lot of people, you're a Hall of Famer. So it's just a matter of time before you get that gold jacket. For casual fans who don't know, what's the next step? Are they still knocking on doors at hotel rooms the night before the Super Bowl? <laughs> How will you find out? That, that's a great question. That was a question I was asked at our little get-together last night here at home. What's next? What's next? I just continued to tell them. We got to continue to promote. We're gonna, you know, do things as as far as social media is concerned. The the voting, the final voting is January nineteenth, I believe. So we got to just continue to make our push and, and let the folks know who who haven't had the opportunity to maybe catch those early Eagle days or those late Raider days of me, you know, just trying to make an impact. And the one thing I always wanted to do, Brian, the first day I walked in uh, to Philadelphia in nineteen eighty eight is I wanted to make the locker room a little better than when I found it. And that was my whole goal, is to try and make either the DB room or whoever I was able to come in contact with through my journey a little better. And I hopefully I was able to do that. And then the big thing is when you're a player and you want to gain respect from your teammates and from your opponents, it's about the preparation. It's about what you do the week leading up to the game. The game should always be fun. It should always be exciting. The week leading up to the game, I think, is the most difficult thing to get through. If you're preparing for a guy like Jerry Rice or Chris Carter or Michael Irvin or Art Monk or any of the rest of those, Andre Reed, any of the rest of those Hall of Famers that I had the pleasure to go against, it was that week building up. And then you get to Sunday, and it's like a test. You, you know, you either pass or fail. And uh, with, with the numbers, we just hope that the, the, the voters understand and know that I passed a lot more than I failed. Well, yes, and you passed in spectacular fashion. And we're all <laughs> pulling for you. It's my good friend Eric Allen. Let's make the transition to your current yes. role as a broadcaster for the Raiders. So in the midst of your great night last night for you and your family, a challenging day for Russell Wilson, what do you make of that situation? And could he land with the silver and black next year? 
Well, right now we're the the the, the Raiders. We're in a really good spot right now, uh, as far as, of course, moving on from you know the Patriot way and Josh McDaniels, and and people are gonna have positive negatives about that. I just think for the Raiders, I think it was time to move on, and I think Antonio Pierce has done a great job of getting the players to buy in. He's, I think, uniquely qualified for this job because of his background, where he came from, his journey as far as getting in the league and the years he spent uh, with the Washington team and the New York Giants, the Super Bowls, being like the guy who always had a chip on his shoulder. So he's uniquely qualified for the Raider job. And right now, he's 4-3. and three. He's beat the Chargers, who are a great rival of ours, and he beat the Kansas City Chiefs in Kansas City. And although the Kansas City Chiefs are not the typical Chiefs team, it really didn't matter when it came to the competition between the Raiders and the Chiefs. They always seemed to have our way. We couldn't find a way to lock up Kelsey. Last year in our building, I think he had three touchdowns, you know, in the red zone. So that was a a huge point. I think when any coach is going to coach a team – in a division with a perennial, you know, champion or Super Bowl winner, you have to have a long-term goal, a short-term goal, and you have to have a specific goal for that football team. And I think Antonio's goals now are for this Raiders team to play physical on both sides of the ball, find a way to get younger players like Malcolm Kuntz, who plays defensive end on the other side of Max Crosby, to be able to, to get three sacks against Patrick Mahomes. So the development of the younger players, I think, has been just phenomenal. And, yes, there's going to be a quarterback question going forward. Aiden O'Connell, our young quarterback this year, just a rookie. I'm not sure if he's the guy or not, but for this football team right now, they're all just focused on the Indianapolis Colts going into next week. Take it one game at a time. And I'll get back to Russell Wilson when we discuss what the Raider offseason looks like. I, I know you get the silver and black check, so I didn't want to put you in a tough spot. You're a broadcast professional. we got about two minutes left. What do you make of your old team in Philly, and can they sort out the defensive issues heading into the playoffs? Oh, it's been tough, right, Brian? I mean, the, the change in coaching and, and the, the, the uh, coach's voice that you're hearing in those headsets, I, I think the biggest crutch that this team has to lean on is they have to be able to go back to a more of a zone concept. They lost a lot in the middle of their football field. Their two safeties are gone. Right? One, Epps, is with the Raiders. The two linebackers have moved on. They plugged in two new guys. When you have that type of fresh uh, voices in the middle of your football field, you're going to struggle on play, on snap counts, preparing for plays that are going to happen in between you know, the series. You're going to hear a different voice. So I think those are the things that makes it difficult for the Eagles right now. What they need to do is get back to more of a zone concept, try and let those guys in the front four kind of create some more pressure. But on the back end, they are really struggling right now, just in technique-wise. When you turn on the tape and turn on the games, they're biting on double moves. It's just not technically sound right now. So that's a part of kind of coaching yourself up, looking at your film, just making sure you're not making those mistakes. But until they clear up that back end and really focus a little bit more on, on being a run-dominant and, and physical football team like they can be, they're going to continue to struggle. But, look, 
they're probably going to win a division, and hopefully they're able to fix themselves going into the playoffs. Outstanding analysis as always, and you did it in a timely fashion because you're a total <laughs> pro. Eric, congratulations again, and I look forward to you getting the news you absolutely deserve from the Hall. Happy holidays, and really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, anytime for you, Brian, and happy holidays to you and all the listeners. Thanks so much. Eric Allen, one of the best in the business, and in fact, let me promote – Eric had a great conversation with Jim on the Jim Rome podcast. He'll give you the overview as to his path to the NFL, phenomenal stories from the glory days in Philadelphia and the Oakland Raiders. In fact, that was so good. It's going to be our huge call. Brought to you by O'Reilly Auto Parts. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts, and they'll install them for free. That's a great value. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Stop by today and learn more, or you can always log on to O'ReillyAuto.com for all the information. Well, that is a spectacular way to wrap up the program. And I tried to preface the conversation with Eric by pointing out he does work for the Raider organization now, pre- and post-game on the radio network, handles their weekly TV show. So Eric is smart enough. He's not going to say anything that's going to wind up on a blog. Eric Allen of the Raiders says, Russ to Vegas. Gave you a good overview on the silver and black, but he's a dear friend. And I didn't feel like being Jim Gray, pushing him against the wall, especially after he got that great news from the Hall of Fame. A lot of people to thank. Eric Allen, Tim Murray of VSIN, Jim Rome, Craig Kitchen, Spike Eskin, David Murnock, all the great people at CBS Sports Radio. Today, the XR4TI was a one-man unit, and Jack Savage was phenomenal. My name is Brian Weber. Enjoy Thursday Night Football, and we'll discuss it tomorrow here on CBS Sports Radio.